On this episode of The Playbook, I have Mike Raffensperger, CMO of FanDuel, answering all the questions about the growth and acceleration in gambling and how it has revolutionized how fans consume sports. Join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host and CEO of Sports One Marketing, David Meltzer. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs of the Playbook, and I have a very popular company here and its chief marketing officer, Mike Raffensperger. Welcome to the Playbook. Thank you for having me. We've uh, had more pre-dialogue than I normally do because I like to not leave it offside the camera, so this should be really fun for me. You know, this company is so popular. The number one question that I get coming from the sports background is, how do I start my career in sports? How do I transition into a career in sports? And do you know anybody at FanDuel? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I think it's a really good sign. But I I personally look at uh, trajectory and evolution of companies. And in this space, I see extraordinary opportunity. The first place I'd like to start is, though, how do you end up as the CMO of such a hot company, because so many people are dying to know how they get this type of job. Yeah. Uh, Look, I can give you the waterfront tour of my background, and it's been uh, winding. So I moved to the city uh, a little over 15 years ago. I thought I was going to make movies and television. That was the plan. That's what I like to hear. Uh, From where, though? California? uh, No, no. I grew up in upstate New York. um, Okay. But I had always kind of wanted to move to the city, and that was sort of like part of the dream. And again, you know, that was going to be uh, what I did. So I did a stint at MTV, stint at PBS. But I pretty quickly realized that... uh, one, waking up at three in the morning to Mancraft Services table is not a super fun way to make a living, but probably more poignantly, the arts, I think, are one of those things that if you, if you can do something else, you should probably go do something else. It's crazy because at the end of my career now, I do movies and TVs and all these things, and my wife's like, this is, I just got asked to do a network show, kind of like a fixer show, and she's like, this is incredible. Like, I am so impatient. Like, the one thing I learned from being on sets, I do elevator pitch yeah. and this stuff, is like, this is one of the most boring jobs. Yeah. You have to learn to wait, basically. Hurry up and wait. Yeah, it, it's incredible. So anyone out there thinking about a job in sports entertainment side, media side of the traditional media, have patience. That's a great skill set. Definitely have patience. So as you trans... So I ignored that advice. Good. Uh, and I, I, yeah, no, and I, I pivoted into marketing and advertising. I bounced around Madison Avenue for a while. And, and traditional marketing and advertising when yeah. you started, right? Yep. And uh, notably, uh, I helped run a boutique um, called Magnet Media for about six years. And so this was right around the time that broadband internet was being more widely adopted. And so online video was becoming more widely adopted. So I used some of those production skill sets and it kind of brought to life what um, it was mostly strategic and creative services, working almost exclusively with media, entertainment, and technology companies. So we worked with Apple to produce kind of branded web video series. We worked with Google on their small business initiative across the country. And it was just an amazing, prolific, super fun time in my life. And it's interesting, though, right, because I believe in kind of the laws of the universe, yeah. that here you had the skill set that then complemented what was now a new frontier yeah. of all media. Yeah, look, it was taking some of those traditional production shops and kind of manifesting in the new environment, which was obviously the explosion of online video. And so, yeah, no, it was uh, definitely a little bit of right place, right time, but also I'm a firm believer that 
to an extent, you make your own luck. And so if you see an opportunity, you just got to grab on and lean in. And I did a little bit of that. Yeah, I always say uh, what you pay attention to and put your intention to creates the coincidences. So I don't truly necessarily, I get frustrated when people like, I'm lucky. I was like, if somebody knew how much you invested in yourself, how much attention and intention, activity and focus, things that make things happen, these coincidences aren't accidents. They're a mathematical occurrence of two things together. And then... Things even progress farther. I think you work for DirecTV too, After right? After that, yep. Yeah. I went to DirecTV, so I ran their digital program, their digital strategy and digital marketing for three, four years. Um, amazing experience, probably where I learned a lot of kind of the more performance management shops and kind of routine management um, uh, opportunity that brings to bear in the role that I'm in now. But uh, incredibly exciting time for the company, uh, really prolific. It was actually still adding new paid television subscribers when the category was broadly losing and shedding uh, subs. And I think it did that through focusing on customer, customer experience, innovation. It was leaning in heavily on digital in a lot of different ways. I launched the first ever direct-to-consumer over-the-top subscription service for the NFL. So their Sunday ticket product, which historically has been only available if you have their satellite television service, extended in certain areas um, to be directly to consumer. So that was a really big success. Help Thank launch. you for that, by the way. You're welcome. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, look, uh, that was an absolute blast. I worked with some of the most impressive people um, that I have in my career at that role. A, a small mom and pop telco company called AT&T uh, merged slash acquired yeah. uh, DirecTV. And AT&T is great in a lot of ways, um, but just wasn't the right fit for me. And so from there, uh, I hopped over to Amazon. Another small, small well, company. They sell head of marketing uh, for uh, yeah, an entrepreneurial business unit in their advertising group. So yeah. this was again a little bit good timing, a little bit uh, you know kind of taking the opportunity. That's right. But right around when Amazon was turning its attention to the digital advertising market, so I think when I started, I might get this number a little bit wrong, but it had something like two percent of the digital advertising uh, marketplace, the wallet, Google and Facebook dominate um, and still do. Uh, they're the number one and number two. But do you, do you know the one rule of statistics, by the way? What is that? The only true tr- statistic I've ever learned is 99% of all statistics are made, made up. Made up on the spot? So just go straight with the 2%. <laughs> We're two. All over it. Yeah. Uh, but look, over the course of, as Amazon is um, shockingly good at doing, is deciding to focus on a marketplace and suddenly chew up uh, oodles of market share. They did so very effectively um, during my time there. I think by the time I left, it was something like 8 or 9% of the overall digital marketplace, and it makes sense. Um, They focus on a lot of things, really interesting, they have a really interesting data set, and so to be a part of that growth um, was a tremendous amount of fun. So one of the things I wanna explore with you are the lessons, there's very few people uh, that are old enough and savvy enough to live in both worlds. And I, you know, coming from someone who in 1992 started in the internet, when even my mom said the internet was gonna be a fad, through being the CEO of Samsung's first phone into the sports realm, agentry, and then media itself. I think one of the superpowers I have is just being able to have participated in the traditional side of things. And one of the things that I see through your career is although there are all this different industries, which they're all different, even to Fandle today, you're in the content business, right? It's simply, 
and traditionally we used to look at you know billboards, yeah. <laughs> radio, TV. It was very clear that it was about the content. Yeah. And I think there's a mysticism or a misconfusion from a lot of young people trying to figure out followers, yeah. and they're missing the boat of people bound emotion for logical reasons. And if you can't capture that in some sort of content, the amplification and perpetuation of that content means nothing because you won't get subscribers. Yeah. You won't get participants in your in your field, right? And yeah. so can you help me understand the lessons that you've kind of learned through that transition from being a traditional marketing guy all the way through a cutting edge leader in the digital space right now? Yeah, look, I mean, the boring part of it is certainly a tremendous amount of sort of journeyman and skill set and understanding marketing technology and sort of how the advantage um, sort of the, the increasing use of data and where marketing has sort of, I think, shifted a bit from commercializing an offering to really being responsible for an engine of growth. And you can learn that, right? You can take courses and you can do the work. I think what you're driving at, which resonates with me, is there are some just core principles, and it is a little trite and a little overused, but like storytelling is a core function of that content. And whether that is a script, whether that is a piece of advertisement, whether it is a billboard, right, there is a story, and in certain ways, what a story really is in an experience. That's why people love stories, is it takes them through a journey. It takes them and teaches them something about the world, teaches them something about themselves. You just nailed the playbook, right? Like yeah. They said, why is this so successful? I said, because it's lessons and stories. Yeah. And people love to learn yeah. through these stories. Yeah. Taking that into consideration, how does that apply to your current job here at FanDuel? Uh, in way more ways than I'll probably be able to account. Sure. <laughs> um, look, in some ways, right, you break down sports. What is it? One of the greatest stories of all time. Right. And it's such a tribal, competitive, communal experience that we imbue with a tremendous amount of value, right, and a tremendous amount of um, identification. And when you or team is out on the field and the narratives that take place in every micro moment, whether it's a play or a pitch or the macro moment in the season or, you know, decade-long kind of dynasties, that's something that, is really powerful for people. I think as you're able to further personalize and just increase the excitement through sports betting or sports gaming in general, or your ownership, or you're kind of being able to tell a story yourself with a fantasy team, building a fantasy team, being able to play manager, like those are things that enrich sports and personalize your experience with sports in a really interesting way. So at a super macro mission level of the company, that's what we do, right? We look to make sports more exciting give people a deeper engagement, give them a front row seat to every game that is on every day of the year. And um, it's interesting too, because that reality concept, yeah. which got picked up on a decade or so, or a decade and a half ago, that sports is always contained, yeah. right? I'd say it's always the ultimate, it will be the last reality show that exists because of the nature of sports. Yeah. And you've amplified that through you know more interaction, more engagement, more self-participation yeah. by you know selection and all types of other things. Yeah. Where do you see that type of content going for FanDuel where there's so much, uh, so much of a choice, but there's just, I think, an overload yeah. of content, but yet as there's more and more content, you guys seem to keep creeping up and getting more and more market share. Yeah, look, I think in some ways I have described FanDuel as one of the most successful second screen experiences in the world. So in the world of entertainment, this was much hotter probably five, 10 years ago, but every network on the planet was trying to figure out the second screen experience, right? right? How do we get them on our phone? Usually dirty little secrets so I can shovel more advertising in front of them and make more money, but- It's real estate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and most of them kind of failed because they didn't actually 
amplify or increase your experience of watching uh, what that content is. I think there's a few companies in the world that have successfully done that. Twitter is one of them, and I think FanDuel is another. Nice. We actually add a new layer to the way that you experience sports when it's on live and the way you're able to engage with sports when it's not on live and you're doing your research, you're looking at your players, you're trying to figure things out, get an angle, or the way that you interface with your friends. Every person who has ever placed a sports bet, I guarantee you, has a group text message thread on their phone bullshitting back and forth with their buddies. No doubt. And it's just part of that social experience, that more enriching experience. It gets you closer to community, your tribe, and even if it's warring tribes, my favorite text thread is, I'm a huge New York Giants fan, my best friend in the world is a huge Redskins fan, Neither of us had something to really brag about this year, but you know, it's been a ton of fun, right? Right. And just to give a platform that people are able to, again, enrich their experience and interface more, uh, I think is just one of the reasons that we've had success, along with you know, telling stories and experiences. I think we really focus on what the customer experience is. And that's something we talk a lot about here in the way that the app works, the way we put our marketing out into uh, the field, the way that we actually creatively get our communications across. I think it is about trying to put yourself in the actual person, the human beings, the customer's shoes, um, and doing something meaningful. And to that point of meaningful, I think when we look back, you know, one advantage of being more experienced, or as other people say, old, yeah. is that I see things in a 20-year perspective. And if I look back, uh, I'm old enough to know, and I'll tell people, like Richard Nixon had a bigger impact on the NFL than anyone ever, and yeah. they have no clue why, right? Yeah. But you do, because you're a TV guy, right? Yeah. You created the blackout yeah. rule, which sent people into the stadiums because yeah. they couldn't sell out a Super Bowl. Yeah. And you know that changed the entire face of all sports. Yeah. I believe FanDuel's doing the exact same thing because without FanDuel, the big leagues that, I mean, it was you know literally <laughs> the shame yeah. of, of betting. Yeah. And I always wonder what they're gonna do with Pete Rose now. Yeah. Uh, you know, because FanDuel, when they look back 20 years from now, Everything, the ubiquity of betting yeah. and the real-time access to data yeah. and information, those are two areas that you guys have really led the way in. Yeah. And the acceptance, I remember the first time I saw an ad for FanDuel at a game, and with my knowledge and experience, I'm like, here we go, the mm -hmm. door's finally mm -hmm. open. I'm actually someday gonna get to do what I really wanna do without being illegal, mm -hmm. is sit at the game yep. and bet. <laughs> yeah, look, you can do it in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, West Virginia. Right 20 now. states in 18 months. Yeah, it's right? incredibly quick. And in different states are rolling it out in different ways at different paces, but I think the appetite is undeniable. Um, the momentum I think we're really pleased with. And I think, you know, one, we've been doing this for 10 years. We started with daily fantasy sports. Now, obviously, we're doing it with sports betting. And the data is incredibly clear, and it has huge benefit to the league. When people engage with fantasy sports or they engage with sports betting, the amount of sports content they consume goes up dramatically. Um, this is just, it's a huge part and parcel and it has a ton of value. I think we're sensitive to our league partners and integrity matters. I think the reality is, whether it is- I think legal, Alex Cora thinks integrity. Thinks Alex Cora thinks Yeah, integrity, integrity right? of the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the sport and the players, and you have to be of careful, course. right, of, uh, in yeah. always, and working with the regulating partners. But here's the reality, right? Whether it is legalized, regulated, and managed in a way that has consumer protections and with an American company that you can trust that you'll actually get your money out of, this is going to happen and is happening every day, and even in states where it is not legal. Right. Um, the market consensus is something like $150 billion a year are bet on sports in the United States. The massive, overwhelming majority of that is done through some guy right, yeah. or an offshore site that you may or may not get your money back. And so the 
the regulation of it, I think, has been incredibly healthy, not just from the consumer protections and we take things like responsible gaming really seriously, but also the innovation. I think you've seen, if you experience kind of our app and some of the things like live betting or a same game parlay or other features that just are what people want to do, you know, having a, uh, a regulated, legal, uh, and competitive marketplace incentivizes that kind of thing. Which opens up an entirely different realm of industry, jobs, et cetera, these sports-related jobs. I know uh, Dr. Chow was one of my good friends. Yeah, he was the doctor, ways, yeah. Right? And so I came to me as a consultant saying, look, I have the ability from spending 17 years on the field of identifying injuries. That's right. And more than being a great orthopedic surgeon and fixing knees and hips, he's more excited about the fact that he can sit in front of nine games at a time and feed Adam Schechter, whoever else, the information <laughs> that, you know, two is gonna be back and yeah. he should be drafted in the top, right? Like these yeah. kind of, but that, for a guy who went to Harvard Med School would never exist and there's probably a thousand other careers that are going to be created by identifying where we're going. Do you have any advice to those entrepreneurs looking at, you know, what I call the picks and axes of yeah. your business that are being created? Yes. Uh, look, I mean, commercially, uh, this may be somewhat stating the obvious, but there is rarely an opportunity quite like this one. I mean, the repeal of prohibition, maybe the cannabis industry, right. like there's just not a materially large industry sector that has sub 5% digital penetration, which is essentially what sports betting is. Yeah. And so the universe of opportunity, everything from how do you empower and improve the regulatory process where there are a lot of you know, constraints and technologies that you, know, you need to be able to rely on in a crystal clear way. I think there's a ton of opportunity in that space from a, 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 a shovel, pick and shovel uh, perspective. And also just through, you know, uh, uh, new skill sets in risk and training and the way that we kind of actually, the math and the algorithm of sports betting to personalities and influencers where everybody's got a pick, everybody's got a tout, and, you know, how do you bring that to life and kind of build communities or build um, uh, interest groups around sports or, or teams or players? Um, to you know the technology and the innovation itself, whether that's in partnership with media companies, whether it's in partnership with sports betting operators, we're just scratching the surface, right, on the start of what a dis truly disrupted, like a meaningfully disrupted industry is about to be. Um, so, you know, I don't know everything that is going to happen yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, but you know what we're seeing today will certainly look very different than it does in three years, and I think it'll be a mix of everything from infrastructure to the actual um, dollars and cents of how you set lines and you know what risk uh, risk making is to the innovation, the technology, and the actual gameplay of it. Like all of it is a lot of um, white space right now. I think. I remember when we were starting to look at building stadiums in California, Southern California, uh, which finally is being built now in September. Yeah. I, as a consultant, talked about access points and throughput, yeah. and one of the things I said is that it's going to be you know earth shattering when you're able to use your data device real time yeah. with no latency. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, what exactly are you thinking? I'm like, well, eventually, you know, what's really gonna be cool is this becomes golf. Like, yeah. you're either gonna miss or make this. Yeah. That's what makes golf so great, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You miss or make is such a great bet. Yeah. And that happens only through having throughput yeah. and speed yeah. and, and accuracy, because the latency is a huge issue 
uh, if people are seeing things at a different time. It is, and look, again, just to the innovation point, you know, live betting, so in-play betting, which is what you're talking about, where you're actually in the middle of the game, you're able to bet on Runner next pass, pitch, right? exactly. <laughs> you know, that, you know, and those micro prop bets are not actually broadly. Most people are, a tremendous amount of our volume does take place, you know, in Second during the bets. game, <laughs> but they often are, you know, more typical markets like well, who's going to win the outcome what's the over under yeah. going to be and it's just kind of once you get a feel for the game where that goes but but even able to be able to do and bet the second half in that respect 100%. is a huge thing for huge. gamblers or baseball is great for it each inning bet each yeah. inning. i'm a momentum that. person and so i think my advantage in gambling would be you know being able to feel that momentum and say you know what they're going to come back yeah you know like watching that you know kc game and saying this isn't over at 24 nothing um, last question, and I'd be amiss for what this is not to ask you. Right. So many people love your company. It's fu- kind of funny because there's FanDuel fans, yeah. <laughs> which who'd ever thought like people would be fans of companies. But what do you look for when you're hiring? Mm. That's a great question. So look, I-, I think that we have technical competency is one thing, and I think you can actually suss that out pretty well. Genuinely, I do think we try to hire for the right kind of cultural um, fit for us where we actually have a set of principles that we operate by. I won't list them all, but sarcasm, one of them. Sarcasm is not, um, <laughs> but you know, look, there, there are things like we want to win, but we win with integrity and you can kind of press in that, like getting things done the right way is something that really matters, especially in our business, right? I think we take the responsibility of, again, a regulated consumer protected business that involves gaming very seriously. And so that is something that we, we look for really, uh, very much. So I think, you know, the passion for it uh, matters a lot, especially in certain parts of the company. I think that it comes across where we are really, I think, unique, unique in the gaming space where we are definitely part technology company and we are part gaming company. And I think we have a huge uh, background of people that come from both. Uh, and it's the blend of those two things that I think has led to a good bit of our success and also uh, drives us very much to go find that person. Um, and it's both thing mixing of those backgrounds and then people have kind of a passion for both spaces. And you guys are doing a great job because I'm blessed to be in so many different offices and I love walking in the office going, God, I just love the energy in here yeah. and all the people that we met, including Emily over there, Excellent. are just extraordinary. Like the energy's, like you just feel good when you're here. And that's hard to recreate with a company. I use this little joke a lot, so forgive me. That's all right. But I wake up every day and I realize I work at the intersection of sports, gaming, and gambling, and that is a kick-ass way to make a living. Yeah, uh, and I think almost everybody in the building feels that way. And you can tell when you're here. Well, I just want to congratulate you and also thank you because that's some great insight that we don't usually get. This is Dave Meltzer with Mike Raffensberger here with The Playbook. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.